This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and acknowledge the ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Colonisation and genocide are still happening in this land. Sovereignty was never ceded and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hey everybody and welcome back to Ozpol Snackpod, the podcast where two of Australia's foremost political nobodies serve you up bite-sized chunks of Australian news and politics with a side of crispy memes. We're also the official podcast of the Ozpol shitposting Facebook group, which you should check out if you like Ozpol and shitposting. Answer the questions that we just can't let you in. We simply legally cannot do it. My name is Zach the Snack and with me as always is my co-host. Hey, I'm Noon uh, on Facebook. I'm Anu Funkenstein. And I'm very excited to be back with you again, Zach. Um, Excellent. You've had a long morning of headbanging to Jewish punk music? Yeah, yeah. Or like Jew metal, but spelt J-U. Yeah, uh, everyone should go listen to Chabad (laughs) Religion. It's a great album. Uh, It's only 13 minutes. Uh, You can rock out while uh, telling the the Jewish Lord how much you love him or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, It sounds like a truly ecstatic experience. Mm Mm-hmm. I even said um, to my mum, actually, I was like, hey, uh, I figure you probably won't like this music very much, but you might enjoy this, like, Jewish content. And she was like, oh, it was great. I listened to a whole bunch. Their pronunciation's so good. One of them is Israeli, and one of them is, in fact, Israeli. So, yeah, very cute. <laughs> but what else is cute, Zach, is our two new patrons, Joe and Sarah, who are supporting the show with their cash dollars, which is super lovely. That's so as cute as you can get. Thank you so much, Joe and Sarah, for signing up. We appreciate it very much. Uh, if you like what we do, you can have it, head over to our Patreon and support us for as little as one US dollar a month, which will get you a monthly bonus episode. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. Let's get started, Noon. You want to kick it off with our um, little entree? What have you brought for us this week? Yeah, so this is just some more like uh, corrupt incompetence from the government. It's it's either corruption or incompetence. It could be both, I guess. Um, because while the country is spiraling into economic collapse, the government has decided to spend more money on... Pointless job active providers. So these are the agencies that make unemployed people come in every week or two to prove that they're a worthless piece of shit and therefore allowed to get government money. Uh, They're extremely ineffective at helping people find jobs. We've talked about this a couple of times, but maybe we should do a mains on it sometime because there's Mm. like a lot of fuckery. But basically they get paid when their, quote, clients find themselves a job, right? Because they never find anyone jobs, but then whenever anyone who's on their books get a job, they get paid. They get a big um, bonus. And cash money bonus. Speaking of cash money, it's actually a Michaelia cash money bonus. Um, she approved <laughs> $100 million extra to be sent out to these job active providers, but it turns out it's actually been more than five times that, more than half a billion dollars. And they've done this by relaxing the Fucking rules hell. for claiming the bonuses for people getting employed. So um, uh, according to the Saturday paper who did a big investigative piece on this, quote, requirements for payslips to verify job payments were removed fucking genius, and providers were paid bonuses even if work was interrupted by periods of self-isolation or complications from the health crisis. So, like, basically they're being paid now even when people don't get Aren't getting jobs. Yep. Yeah, yeah um, perfect. Because it's not actually a system designed to help people get jobs. It's a system designed to route rent, money from the government seeking. into yeah, a exactly. bunch of private accounts. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, and here's a quote from a spokesperson from the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, who we're not going to discuss. Um... 
Quote, the government is bending over backwards to give predatory job agencies more certainty during the economic crisis than they're giving to people whose lives are in turmoil who are facing the prospect that they might never find secure work again. Uh, but, Zach, if that sounds bad, don't worry. Uh, I thought I'd wrap up this story with a reassuring quote, and this is from a leaked government document uh, that was sent to job active providers, and I think this will just answer any questions that y- you might have about this whole situation. That's what I love about leaked government documents, just the warm sense of comfort and safety that they provide. Mm-hmm. All right, so here we go. Quote, An outcome may be payable where an outcome was already tracking for a participant who moves on to the JobKeeper payment through their previous employer or applies for slash receives JobKeeper payment initially and then moves on to the JobKeeper payment through their previous employer. Does that mean that if somebody... Nope, sorry, that's the end of the story, Zach. Uh, can't, <laughs> can't clarify any further. I think that should have clarified everything. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. Well, it's good to, you know, everybody is uh, pulling the belts a couple notches tighter over the course of the, of the crisis. And it's nice to see that, um, that the government's really di- digging deep to support this extremely exploitative private industry that provides no social good and in fact, harms a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, shall we move on to... Positivity Okay, so this is a nice story. This one is about RAFWU, the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union, who, if you don't know who they are, they are a relatively new union that was set up to uh, service people who work in fast food and retail, as the name suggests. But they, they were set up basically in direct opposition to the SDA, which is the Shop and Distributive Allied Employees Alliance. Did I get that right, Noon? Yeah, pretty much. Um, the, yeah, they're usually, a, the largest union in Australia, and they are extremely conservative Catholics. And the SDA was founded, A, to oppose communism, and B, to oppose abortion, basically. They were like, all of these labor groups and trade unions, they seem progressive. We can't have that. We'll set up our own union with reactionaries. Um, but yeah, then and these Rafa days they're to... famous for uh, negotiating enterprise bargaining agreements with employers that, that are, are actually like worse than bad. the like, yeah, the, that yeah. are worse than the award for for that industry. So they represent you know people who work at like Coles and Woolies and uh, McDonald's and all that kind of stuff. They're also the single biggest union donor to the Labor Party, which is cool. But anyway, so the shop distributors, uh, the the SDA is what's called a bosses union. They don't represent their employees; they represent the indus- yeah. uh, the interests of their bosses, and so. A, People working in retail and fast food were like, hey, you know it would be nice? If we had a union that represented us. So RAFWU uh, basically sprang up into that gap. And even though they're very young and not technically a registered employee organization, which is something that SDA hacks will tell you about RAFWU. They're well, not they're a real union. a corporation. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably more important whether or not a, a, a union represents their workers and gets wins for them than whether or not they're technically registered mm-hmm. with the Fair Work Commission. But hey, call me old-fashioned. Anyway, so this week we got some good news about RAFU. So the RAFU has taken a McDonald's franchisee called Tantex, which owns about six McDonald's restaurants. They've taken Tantex to court on behalf of a young worker called Kira Staines. So under the uh, enterprise agreement, the existing enterprise agreement, McDonald's was supposed to give workers a 10-minute paid break for shifts that are longer than four hours. Not exactly an enormous ask. No. Um, but, I mean, I guess that depends who you ask. Mm-hmm. So, Rafu had been running a, a campaign around this, uh, pressuring McDonald's stores to give workers their entitlements because it was very clear that McDonald's was not actually giving their employees this break. So, 
In response, the general manager of Tantex wrote a post in a private Facebook group for McDonald's workers from a particular store. This guy's name is Christopher Cronison, and uh, I just wanted to say his name. name. (laughs) It is a really good name. Um, Bad guy. Yeah. Here's here's a couple of quotes um, from this Facebook post that he made to McDonald's employees. As we all love the legislation and are all clearly so hard done by, let me clarify for you the below entitlement in all caps. Uh, it goes on to say how McDonald's are actually doing their employees a favor by not giving them the paid 10 minute break and that it would suit the franchise better to, quote, follow the entitlements because, quote, if we implement this over our current situation on your shift, this 10 minute break would be the only time you would ever be permitted to have a drink or go to the toilet. So I hope to God you don't get thirsty on your next shift because we just wouldn't be able to allow a drink. Fair is fair, right? In other words, going to the toilet or having a drink on your shift is your paid 10 minute break, just like Uh broken up into a bunch of 30 and 40 (laughs) seconds. So if you take, if you want to take your full 10 minute break, then you're not allowed to go to the toilet or drink water outside of that 10 minutes. That's what this guy is saying. Uh huh. Um, I mean, the obvious solution is just to piss on the floor of the kitchen, but uh, I realize that might not be a, a solution that a lot of people want. I mean, that is direct action. We have discussed the merits of pissing as direct action on mm. this podcast before. Um, I'm sure that listeners are very familiar with that position. Um, and the uh, that Facebook post closed with the quote, I hope this clarifies anyone's raging concerns. What a I just piece fucking, of shit. It's just, I just the, and such the boss language in a this. A low quality post as well like just like so badly written but also so evil seriously and like fair is fair right oh if you want to play hardball i'll have to play hardball too like no i'm asking for a fucking 10 minute break which is legally mandated and to also be allowed to take a piss when i need to yep shut up about fucking fair is fair and this guy is clearly just so outraged by the idea that workers would organize and ask for their entitlements Mm. (sighs) anyway uh, Rafu took this case uh, to the federal court um, on Kira's behalf, and the judge found that Cronesian's post was, quote, a reckless falsehood and a serious one at that, and the court ruled that workers are entitled to bathroom and water breaks as well as their 10-minute break. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, which is the first time that an Australian court has ruled that workers have a legal right to go to the toilet and drink water at it's work. It's pretty wild. Which, yeah... Um, I mean, Jeez. my the optimist in me is saying because, like, yeah, obviously no one thought that they would need to take that to court before, but no, it's probably because uh, no one has, like, gotten... None of the employees who have been told not to drink water have, has taken it to court before, so... Yeah, this is, like, totally endemic across the fast food industry yep. um, and hospitality in general, but... You know, now there's, like, just much more of a paper trail for, like, bosses basically intimidating their workers by threatening them with, like, no, you're not going to be able to go to the toilet for your Mm. shift. Mm. Um, But, you know, it wasn't just the court case. Rafu had also organized uh, the first ever rally of McDonald's staff and a bunch of other actions. So, you know, it was, like, solid grassroots organizing, not just a legal challenge. Anyway... It's a good win. Kira, um, who had roughly uh, or more than 200 breaks stolen from her cumulatively over her time working at McDonald's, uh, is going to get compensated to the tune of $1,800. But yeah, I mean, I think this shows, as we were saying, that this is just, you know, totally widespread within the fast food Mm, industry. And mm. it proves that exploitation is just part of the business model for these companies. Yeah. Um, You know, beyond the obvious 
exploitation of like profits being stolen wages and uh-huh, that kind uh-huh. of thing. But you know, more, more sort of on the ground day to day exploitation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I just thought it was interesting to point out also that until February this year, McDonald's workers weren't getting penalty rates until yeah. they won them through a RAFWU campaign, which happened last year. This was under an enterprise bargaining agreement negotiated by the SDA. So, boo, SDA, fuck you. Um, one of the other things that uh, the secretary of RAFWU, Josh Cullinan, pointed out was that this case is also about union busting. Yeah. It wasn't just about the actual, yeah, the entitlements. You know, this is about managers of franchises intimidating their staff, many of whom are children, to mm. stop them from organizing. The judge basically agreed with that, saying that the Facebook post from the McDonald's manager was very clearly intended to intimidate the workers and stop them agitating for paid yep. breaks. Yeah. Um, so look, this is a this is a solid win. Rafu again shows uh, how important actual representation for workers is, and the power that they have when they uh, band together. They want to hear from other McDonald's and fast food workers about if you've experienced anything similar, you know someone who works at a place like that, and they want to get in touch with Rafu. Go and check out their website. Um, they've got information on this campaign, and uh, they're looking to hear from you. Gwen, thanks, Zach. All right, um, I think now we're going to move on to Coronas. Hey, man, I've got some more beers. Oh, I don't know if I can drink anymore. I'm feeling kind of sick. No, come on, we're having another round of Coronas. Uh, and, you know, normally for this, we'd do a bit of a roundup. We'd give you the numbers, give you some, like, stuff about restrictions and so on. But I think um, we're probably not the best source for, like, up-to-the-date, uh, uh, up-to-the-minute numbers about coronas and infections and stuff because like mm. you know we record this a day in, a, in advance and like you a can just google that even, shit you could say yeah 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 um so instead i think this time it we're just gonna have a little blessed corona take mm. it was the best of takes it was the blurst of takes you stupid monkey it was the best of beers. It was the blurst of beers. Uh, okay, so th- th- this terrible take <laughs> is from none other than our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, who uh, this week in Question Time said this. Australia was not meant to be closed. Australia was meant to be open. Sorry, I'm just doing a silly voice because, you know, fuck him. Um, <laughs> we need to come together and ensure that we are clear with Australians that we will seek to make Australia whole again by Christmas this year that Australians can come together they always would at Christmas so they can spend their important time with family. Um, and I just fucking love that phrase, make Australia whole again, because, like... Yeah, remember when Australia defederated? Remember uh-huh. when Western Australia seceded? When Tasmania just fired up their big engine and like floated away to new zealand yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) um yeah so like this is a pretty terrible take because it's just like further confirmation that the government either doesn't understand or doesn't care that this is a health emergency right he's like oh we need to celebrate christmas as if like celebrating christmas might not cause thousands of people to die like not celebrating but like having everyone go across the country to visit their grandma for christmas or whatever like seems like a bad idea unless the disease is dealt with and um as just which a little... they po- can't possibly know that that will be by christmas how can you promise that how can no, you force it's ridiculous states to promise that they'll be open by a certain time and you don't know what yeah. the situation with the virus is going to be it's yeah absurd and- to me uh, this is it's maybe not quite good enough to be a blessed take, but it's a, a reasonably good take along the same lines. And this is from West Australian Premier Mark McGowan, who said, quote, 
We're not setting any timetables. Along this road, lots of people have tried to set a date, and every time you set a date or you try to set a date, the date moves because COVID is unpredictable. We are not going to agree to bring down the borders. I've made that plain to the Prime Minister. We're not going to agree. Um, and... Jeez, maybe... Australia is coming apart at the seams. Yeah, oh, maybe AKA West Australia this one, is... This guy isn't seating. doing what I tell him to. <laughs> yeah, and in fact... Basically, as a result of this, Scott Morrison has now decided that the National Cabinet, which is the like um, uh, anti-corona war room kind of thing between the federal government and the state governments, he's now basically said that the, deci- the quote, decisions that get made there uh, don't have to be approved of by everyone. It's just like he's going to tell them what National Cabinet has decided and they're going to do it or not, um, which is pretty funny. There was a good Simpsons against the Liberals meme of like, well, National Cabinet will just have to agree to disagree and state governments. I don't agree to that. Other state governments. Neither do I. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. All right. Uh, that's, that's enough about Coronas and Scott Morrison. Uh, unfortunately, I'm sure we'll talk about him again before the end of the show. Mm, more strong, clear-eyed leadership from a person who definitely deserves to be the leader of this country. Uh-huh. Okay, uh, now it's time for Fashy Australia, which was supposed to be like a five-minute conversation, and then Noon and I ended up talking about it for like 20 minutes, so um, it's going to be our mains, uh, which means we'll have to come up with a food pun for it. Do you have uh, how s- about arrest walnuts, like arrest warrants? <laughs> okay. That's yeah, a food yeah, sure. pun. There yeah, hard cool. not to crack. All right, sorry. Uh, back to the show. Fashy Australia. I'm already feeling refreshed after that sting. Excellent. Good to hear. Uh, So uh, this was a pretty big story this week. People will probably have heard about it. A Ballarat woman named Zoe Bueller was arrested and charged with the crime of incitement for making a Facebook event for an anti-lockdown protest titled Freedom Day Ballarat. This is one of many Freedom Day protests that have been scheduled for later today. Uh, the day that we're recording, Saturday the 5th of September. Uh, they're anti-lockdown protests, essentially, and they're happening all around the country, uh, not just in Victoria. And if you're wondering why are anti-lockdown protests happening in places that aren't in lockdown, welcome to the deep state, I guess. Uh, and I'm sure there'll be plenty to discuss about the Freedom Day protests uh, in next week's episode. But anyway, so Zoe Bueller and her partner live-streamed the arrest, and Look, it's it's pretty confronting. You know, she's pregnant. There's kids in the apartment. She talks about, you know, being late for an ultrasound ap- appointment. Yep. She gets handcuffed even though she's, like, in no way physically resisting. Yeah, she's just um, having a bit of a cry. Um, and there's a quote from the ABC here, uh, from the police. Police concede the incident looked, quote, terrible. Um, which is, like, it it kind of did. As you say, it was a bit confronting. And it laid, they, like, went and arrested this, like, small pregnant lady. But, like... Mm. That's, not by this police is the standards. incident that the police think look terrible, not the like hosing down and and beating of that disabled guy or the, the that kid that seventeen year old black kid that got tripped and face planted by the cop. Like I don't mm. think they mentioned any of them they, being terrible. Yeah, when they say that it looked terrible, they mean oh, we're sorry enough we people arrested have a white seen person it. on camera. We're, exactly, we're, and we're sorry that people are like enough people are upset about it that we have to say something mm, about mm. it. Um, there was outrage about those other cases, but not nearly enough. But uh, they've accidentally activated uh, an enormous uh, amount of opposition with this quite ham-fisted response. Yeah. Um, 
like, but you know, th- this is she's not the only case of this. There's um, two earlier in the week, two men were arrested in Melbourne for incitement. Uh, one is apparently a known guy, this this Fanos Panayidis guy. Apparently, he was a, a, a contestant on a show called Family Food Fight. <laughs> okay. I don't know what that is, um, but now he's some kind of COVID conspiracy theorist. There was also this guy, James Bartolo, who's an anti-science conspiracy theorist who thinks like the Big Bang is fake and that maybe uh, the Earth is flat and a bunch of other stuff. I went looking for like comments about Jews and didn't see any, which is nice. Uh, but yeah, hey, definitely. Take it where you can get it. Yeah. Um, and he was also uh, arrested at his home for incitement. They broke down the door and arrested him. Uh, and then they found... Five illegal weapons, which I'm pretty sure were katanas. Um, so he's also been charged with possession of illegal weapons. Um, Damn, right. Okay. But yeah, that was also for incitement for uh, a Facebook post about encouraging people to come to an event. Yeah, but I mean, these anti-lockdown protests are like, you know, th- this is a, this is becoming a quite widespread mm. attitude. There were uh, a few arrests made at a protest in Melbourne's north. Uh, I think it was in Broadmeadows. And I think it was mm. about three people who were arrested, not getting very much media coverage because... They were young people of color who were mm. who had organized and were participating in this protest. Um, so, you know, like there's a reason, obviously, Noon, as you've pointed out, that this the 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 arrest of this young pregnant white mother has garnered most of the media attention. Uh, but I think you know we need to have a little bit of a conversation about people getting mm. arrested for incitement for organizing mm. a protest. Um, the definition of, definition of incitement is pretty vague. The Crimes Act defines it as to command, request, propose, advise, encourage, or authorize somebody to commit a crime. Okay. That's not an exhaustive definition either. So it's a right. pretty like it's a pretty broad ranging thing. And clearly, um, if making a Facebook event falls under that, like you know, it's there's a lot of it can be interpreted pretty broadly. Um. But, you know, I mean, like, we can see conservatives going wild over this arrest. The Herald Sun, Sky News, IPA, Chris Ullman, you know, there's mm-hmm. condemning the Known arrest. There's supporters of protesters at all times. Well, exactly. And I think uh, the response is probably best summed up by this um, opinion piece from The Australian. The headline is, Pregnant mum Zoe Bueller's arrest is dictatorial and dangerous. First line of the article, quote, I stand with Dan. On people's necks. It's pretty sick. That's then. the situation <laughs> as it is now unfolding in Victoria. I was going to say it's rapidly approaching a police state, but wow. maybe we're already there. Yeah, incredible. Amazing that this equals a fucking police state, but the Nine Towers lockdown yeah. didn't? Nope. Or what about when the incitement laws were used to arrest Chris Breen, the guy who organized the Refugee Action Collective car parade in April, really early on in the crisis? I did a quick search around of uh, the the Australian and uh, Herald Sun, etc., to see if they'd talked about this. Not really. The Hun did have an article, but it was pretty like, oh yeah, people breaking not the laws are going to get. Yeah, it, well, exactly. But suddenly, you know, anything that they can use to beat Daniel Andrews with, it's like, oh, this is a massive mm. infringement on human rights. But here's the thing: I kind of agree with them a little bit. I thought yeah. it was bad when Chris Breen was arrested for the mm. Refugee Action Collective protest. And I didn't think Zoe Bueller probably should have been arrested for making this Facebook post, which is like pretty innocuous when you read it as well. Like she does encourage mm. people to wear masks and socially distance, which is 
hilarious considering that, is that it is an anti-lockdown protest and it's about how <laughs> like our freedoms are being curtailed by curfew and stuff yeah i mean it's it's definitely tricky and like i think one of the things that's tricky about this is that it's ba- basically what it boils down is to there's two groups of people both of whom we don't like one of whom is fucking with the others and like there's the group of like anti-vaxxer conspiracy theorists like uh, people protesting in lockdown and so on and like on the other hand there's the cops and you know the cops kill people and are systemically racist and stuff but like these people who are opposed to lockdown are also if putting people at risk advocating people to die and like basically being like we don't give a fuck about people with disabilities or like other underlying conditions or that sort of thing and like i know they're not being like we hate disabled people but that's also also kind of like the outcome of what they're advocating for yeah so yeah no a lot of their rhetoric it circles around that line of like people who die from covid tend to have a pre-existing condition or they're old as if that doesn't matter as if it means that those deaths don't matter they then don't count yeah but it is Um, difficult to try and like you know i want to be somebody who has a consistent worldview right mm. i want to feel like my i'm not i don't just have a this single outlook biased perspective where something bad happens to people i disagree with and i say that's a good thing something good happens to people i do agree with and i'm like i like this that's not you know, that's not a particularly consistent way to look at the world. As uh, Uh, someone who did a philosophy degree, I think you should probably give up trying to find a consistent worldview. That shit is uh, either non-existent or totally useless. Um, But yeah, no, I take a general point. But I think that, like, maybe this isn't the kind of issue, like, the, the issue of, like, how to treat the enemy of my enemy kind of thing, right? I don't think this is necessarily the kind of thing you can or should have a general rule about. I think it might be a case-by-case basis kind of thing. Like, Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Well, I think a lot of the, the cops this conversation... Cracking... Yeah, go yeah, on. Go, well, you're, you're about to take it to exactly where I was going to say it. this conversation usually goes, I assume, which is that people are like, okay, well, what if it was a bunch of Nazis? Yep. Yeah, is that totally. where you're going with this? Like more or less, yeah, yeah, and like and obviously that's a in some way pointless fake discussion because like cops, the cops collaborate Nazis, with Nazis, they don't yes. punish them. But like if they were punishing them in whatever way, like how should we feel about that? And if they're using laws that would definitely be used to crack down on left wing people as well, should we be concerned about that? And like yeah, I, I think. Um, it's not a simple thing. Lisbeth Latham, friend of the show and Ospol shitposting contributor Lisbeth Latham, said that she thinks that, like, yes, the issue about incitement is a problem, and yes, it is used against progressive activists of various sorts, but also, like, in the middle of a health emergency, maybe the laws about health emergencies shouldn't be suspended whenever someone's like yeah but i want to protest like that that they just don't apply to people if they're like i want to protest um which i'm not sure that's how i felt about the blm protest for example uh i think that was good that that went ahead and like i think it's pretty unlikely that people catch covid outdoors at rallies especially if they're social distancing to whatever extent so like maybe it's not such a huge problem but the policies that they're proposing would be a huge problem, but, like, no one's listening to them. I don't know. Yeah, it's very complex. There's a lot of ins and outs. 
It is. And, you know, I, I don't think that, as you say, it's necessarily helpful to try and extrapolate a hard and fast rule that you can always mm, abide by mm. in all these all these situations and you have to kind of take it on a case-by-case basis. But, yeah, I do think that the idea of arresting people for incitement, for organizing a protest, is a pretty troubling precedent. And I think that we, it's like we can't view it exclusively within the, the context of COVID. Who because the people are or whatever, yeah. Yeah, well, in, in exclusively in the context of the of just this public health emergency, because I think it's pretty rare that cops will be like, "Oh, we're allowed to do this thing now," and then not continue to apply that in future. True. Yeah. Like, it's about the fact that they are breaking public health measures now, but there are lots of different ways in which police could say that a protest mm. is contravening the law and then mm. use that to shut down future protests, which, you know... And to arrest people for inciting for people to go to protests that might then jaywalk or whatever, like... For sure. And, like, I mean, they protest... The the, the cops are harassing people who organize uh, direct action all the fucking time. Yep. The reason that it's becoming a mainstream conversation now, is, as you've said, is because it's happening to this person whose interests line up with the right-wing media establishment. But, you know... Cops come knocking on people's doors months, even years after an action has been has happened. Yeah, while yeah. they gather, gather evidence, they get the security camera footage, they find out where you live, and they come and knock on your door. Like, but these stories don't get reported in the media. But we know that they happen, mm. and we know that the cops will use whatever measures necessary to like harass people into submission, basically. So. I think it's troubling even to see it happen to an anti-lockdown protest. Yeah. Do I think the protest should have gone ahead? No. So it puts you in a kind of a, a tricky position, I guess, yeah. politically. Tom Tanneke also did a post about this, and I thought that it was quite interesting. I think he has an interesting perspective on a lot of stuff about, like, you know, COVID conspiracy theorists or whatever. But his post was basically like, these guys are going to go out LARPing uh, pretending to be activists for a day. And so mm. I'm going to LARP as a shitty conservative who laughs at activists for a day. And, like, he goes on about how he's pretty aware that it's bad and uh, about, the like, the arrest for incitement is terrible, but that, like, he also gets a bit of schadenfreude from these people, like, facing some of the shit that they advocate for for other people often. And, like, yeah. that they've never helped us when we've been protesting, so why should we care about their rights or whatever? And, like, yeah, I think he kind of walked the line pretty well between, like, not not caring, but then also, like, kind of enjoying it. But we talked about this before we, we started recording, Zach, and you said that you found the videos, like, deeply horrible to watch. And I didn't. I felt really bad about it, but I found it quite amusing. Um, and like, oh, oh no, God. I didn't. I didn't feel like it was. De- I didn't think this footage of this particular arrest was deeply horrifying. In right. general, I was talking about. There's been lots of footage of like sovereign citizens who yeah. refuse to wear masks and stuff getting dealt with by the cops. Yeah. And I think it's usually it's. I think it's always distressing to see someone getting arrested. Pretty much, yeah. people yeah. get really fucking upset. They start crying and screaming. Yeah. You, they start to feel powerless and like completely at the whim of these strange people who could do yeah. violence to them yeah. at any time that's a really distressing thing to witness i mean i think I guess- the through line here is more it is less it's it's less important what you know these people were wanted to protest about mm. than it is about 
who do we want to be deciding what is and isn't allowed and mm. who should be enforcing it and how should they be enforcing it? I, I, I guess this is kind of the same point as the Nazi thing, but like I keep imagine, and, and obviously this is not a, a, a very accurate analogy on a number of levels. I used to be famous for making bad analogies and I don't think I've done that enough on this show. So he, here you go, everyone. But this is just something that I like think about in terms of this, like how should we feel about two groups that we're opposed to fighting one another? Like, how did the like Russian revolutionaries think about the white army, the like uh, aristocrat army, uh, like fighting the bourgeoisie or whatever? Right, like there are these two groups that are opposed to us that are fighting one another, and like how do we deal with that? If one of them has state violence, like the the power of the state behind them, does that make them like by default the ones that we should oppose? Or, like obviously we should. And do say fuck cops all the time, and like mm. that seems like a pretty clear rule that this was bad. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. Know. Well, and uh, I, my mind also went to that area of like thinking about the nature of a state monopoly on violence and what mm. that means, because if you like, I don't think that it's helpful necessarily in this particular case to, as you said, like we've as we've said a couple times already try to make some kind of hard and fast rule that you can always abide by in these situations. So I don't know if it's helpful to make a one-to-one comparison between mm, this mm. lockdown protest and like violent white supremacists. But that's like my mind did go there and I was thinking mm. about, okay, so what would my attitude be, right? Mm. And we've already covered off the fact that it's very unlikely that the cops would intervene in that case yeah, for a yeah. couple of reasons. They like white supremacists ideologically align with the cops much more closely than anti-lockdown protesters. This anti-lockdown protest sure, is directly yeah. in opposition to police power and yeah. state power. Yeah. White supremacists are often pro-state power, and we yeah. all obviously know that there's a massive overlap between white supremacists and members and of members of the police. Yeah, of the police. But let's say you have a situation where there is a violent white supremacist gang who is likely to do violence to you mm. know to other people in the community you know would i then su- support the police going in and stopping that and i think i'd have to say yes because saying no seems like kind of a ridiculous thing yeah but yeah that doesn't you know i am not making that call in a vacuum these guys aren't those same people either like yeah you're right it's no, not in a vacuum I think it's uh, yeah i'm not making it in a vacuum in the sense of like a society has been set up where the state and the police do have a monopoly on violence and violence has basically been taken away from the community at large as an mm. option to deal with problems, right? Mm. So, you know, if there was a strong, robust community organization who could fight back against, you know, and protect the community against white supremacist organizations, it would be like a kind of a different question. And obviously yeah. you have anti-fascist groups, but answers to those questions are so they're so kind of stacked because they're like where we've been put in this position where basically the only lever we have to pull in response to something like a violent white supremacist gang mm. is a police response mm. and i don't think that, that it's that it's necessarily morally on us to be like no under no circumstances should police ever get involved in anything because yeah. like things have been set up in a way that sometimes that might be the only recourse that we have societally mm, that's the way mm. that it's been set up um 
you know, you work against that and you want to work towards building a society and a community where A, white supremacy and white supremacist gangs don't exist in the fucking first place. But B, we have a community that can pull together and respond to threats like that, whether it's violently or non-violently. Mm. Um, but the way that the monopoly on violence in faith, like the, the way that the state's monopoly on violence and in general, like capitalism fragments communities and mm. dissipates community power means that they've put themselves in a position where they are the only like form of recourse that we have to call on in that situation. Yeah. And so, I mean, that, that's what, like, I don't know if you want to take this con con conversation to that extreme, that's where my mind goes. But I, th I think also there's like, I think we've both been pretty clear that we don't think these anti-vax slash anti-lockdown people are as evil as white supremacists, even if they, like, casually advocate for eugenics sometimes. Um, but like, As opposed to very explicitly making it their main Actively thing. doing it. Yeah, exactly. Um, that, like, there are sovereign citizens who are grifters right like uh, we did a bonus episode a couple months ago about mm. sovereign citizens i talked a lot about a guy david win miller who charges huge amounts of money to teach people how to get arrested for contempt of court basically like he teaches them yeah. like you don't have to pay fines and then they go to court and they do have to pay the fines plus like damages for wasting the court's time or whatever he is like a straight up grifter he should be in jail probably yeah and um, here you've got Pete Evans, who right, has used right. his celebrity chef status to start to talk about, hey, buy this light to shine up your butthole to cure coronavirus. Now he's transitioning into, hey, take part in my multi-level marketing scheme. Totally. And like, I'm not, I don't know about Zoe Bueller, the lady who was arrested that we started off the story about, but like, it seems She's not like cut from the same cloth. She's not like that. She's None. just like a private individual who has some weird and wrong ideas about viruses. Yeah. She and makes like, candles for a living. Yeah, yeah. The, you like, know, she's she's a punter. She's not ex yeah, exactly. No, I think it's a good point. She's not a, a disingenuous grifter. She's one of the many people who've been caught up in the conspiracy bullshit the around COVID. Yeah, yeah. And right. So yeah, I mean, I guess that's partially why they'll. Like, you can see it when in the arrest when it's happening. She's just totally bewildered. You know, totally, if she was yeah, if she very was like an Avi Yemeni type, she would have a script fucking ready for the cops. Yep. And she wasn't. She wouldn't have about fucking repeatedly admitted her. to her crime either. No, but she, and she didn't do the sovereign citizen shit of like, am I a man? You, this is a naval court. You don't have. Yeah. yeah. Am I a man? You don't have the right to arrest me. The insignia on your shoulder is blue, not red, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. She is. Yeah. I mean, you know. I, so look, she did an extremely silly thing that potentially could have put a lot of people at risk for sure. I guess I just wish that as a society, we had a different way of responding to that that yep. wasn't the cops. <laughs> I yep. guess that's my position. And a life-destroying fine. Tw yeah, $20,000. I mean, look, GoFundMes go have been set up. That's true, um, yeah. I'm, I'm you know, sure she'll be all right in this particular well, yeah, case. But like, huge amount of media. I mean, she's going to be in a much better position than... Like yeah, right. Those Brain, activists Chris in Brain the, from the RC, yeah. Right. Or those, um, uh, right, who's going to be the subject of like consistent and repeated police harassment. Or, for example, those young men of color arrested in the north yeah. of Melbourne at a separate anti lockdown protest. Like, they are not getting GoFundMe set up for them. They're not having yep. their case 
put on the front page of the fucking Herald Sun and having Sky News commentators going to bat for them. So, yes, we need to acknowledge the structural differences in, in these approaches. But, you know, I think you can acknowledge the fact that it's fucked that her case has become uh, like a rallying cry for the right in general and also say that, in principle, I'm not sure that she should have been arrested for this thing. Yep. It's a complicated position. Hold on, I don't really know, man. I don't know. No. I'm just some guy. That's why we spent 15, 20 minutes saying that we don't know what's up. So, yeah. listeners, hopefully you guys you're got the picture. even more baffled now. Yeah, yeah great. Excellent. <laughs> uh, is it time for our First Nations story? All right, yeah. So, uh, this is a First Nations story. It's mostly a nice one with just a little bit of b- bad shit at the start. Um, so, this week, uh, September 2nd, was Indigenous Literacy Day. And um, there was a bunch of stuff about Indigenous literacy. Uh, there was a lot of... Um, it was covered in ABC radio a lot, and there's stuff in the papers. Um, the bad news is that we are still not meeting our Closing the Gap targets for literacy. Uh, there, are, there are 32 targets, which is there, there are four age groups and eight states and territories, right? And only four of those 32 t- targets have been met um, in the most recent year. So that was year three and five in Queensland, year fives in Tasmania, and year nines in the ACT, and they are the only Indigenous students who are performing at or above the national minimum, right? Mm. So that's not even, like, necessarily extremely literate or whatever. That is, uh, yeah, four out of 32 groups uh, ahead of the national minimum. Uh, Literacy rates in school students are improving both in absolute terms and relative to non-Indigenous students, which is like the idea of closing the gap, right? Um, uh, But it's going very, very slowly, and it's backwards and forwards over the last 10 years. Like, it's been trending upwards, but with a lot of, you know, two steps forward, one step back kind of thing. So, like, this year it was a step forward, but next year it might not be, so... That's the bad bit. But the nice bit was something, and this is an, an idea I heard from a woman named Edith Wright, who's a board member of uh, Magabala Books. She did an um, appearance on RN Drive with Patricia Carvelis. Um, Magabala Books print uh, books in First Nation languages, uh, languages as well as in English. They're mostly children's books. Um, and Edith Wright was saying that there's these two related issues which are literacy and literature and Mm. as we've said like literacy that's about teaching people to read and write that's a a job for schools and school students um, and that's going badly but indigenous literature is absolutely exploding and um i Mm. i heard this brief interview with her about it and then sort of looked it up online and there's some amazing stuff and these are just like a couple of like examples of this that aren't necessarily like uh there there is some research going on to kind of like confirm this but at the moment it's it's pretty anecdotal but it's very strong anecdotal evidence so one of these uh sydney bookstore better read than dead um for uh, one of the weeks in september um they they did like an instagram post of their 10 most popular books and five of them were written by aboriginal torres strait islanders um which is amazing and like that's just like a random week i don't know how it was the week before or like the month before or whatever Mm. but that's that's still pretty huge. Uh, in Melbourne, in readings, uh, Bruce Pascoe's book Dark Emu was in their top 10 bestsellers every single week that it was in stock, despite mm. being published more than half a decade ago, um, which is like... That is so un- wild. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's Yeah. Uh, and there's a woman named uh, Tara June Winch. She's a Wiradjuri author, and she wrote a book oh, called... Oh, the, the, Ye- the Yield? Yeah, the I just Yield. read that. Totally. I finished oh, cool. it like two How years it? ago. It, uh, yeah. From w- what I read about it, it looks extremely heavy, but uh, it it is. It's it's pretty heavy. It's a like it, it's kind of a melding of like 
contemporary and historical fiction. It's got mm. a, a lot going on, and it was really heavily influenced by Dark Emu. It was interesting having read Dark right. Emu before it and seeing uh, and, and seeing the way that it had influenced this kind of work cool. of um, historical fiction. Yeah, it's a very interesting read. I definitely highly recommend it if uh, you haven't. Uh, shouts to sh- friend of the show, Jess, who lent it to me. Um, anyway, uh, Winch said this, major publishers are picking up indigenous writers and putting them at the top of their catalogs. We weren't being read 10 years ago. Maybe one of us was being read per year. And she said the yield, the yield is in airports, which wouldn't have happened when she published her first book. Uh, uh, mm, yeah. Five which is like years 10 ago. years ago. Yeah. 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 Um, and she said this, when I've looked back, some of the most incredible work has come from the sixties or seventies. Oh, sorry. She was saying like, some a lot of white people have been being like, oh, there's a renaissance in indigenous literature and storytelling or whatever. <laughs> right, right. And she was basically being like, no, that's bullshit. White people are buying it now. That's yeah. what the change is. But yeah, so she said this. When I've looked back, some of the most incredible work has come from the 1960s or 70s. David Unaipon did publish in 1927, but his name wasn't even attributed to that text until much later. Mm. The first indigenous woman to publish a book of verse, Udguru Nunakal, was published in 1964 with We Are Going, the poetry book. That's a huge gap in time. Our voices were repressed for decades. It's so ironic because we're a nation of storytellers. Yeah, so I think that's a, a, a really beautifully made point and also a great story. Like, it's just great news that there's, like, this explosion going on. And Edith Edith Wright said something along the lines of, there's a lot of white parents who are angry that they were basically lied to by their school education about Aboriginal people and mm. that are, like, making it a priority for themselves and for their children to, like, teach them what happened from an indigenous point of view. So mm. yeah, that's, that's an interesting um, thing. Um, yeah. For sure. Thanks, Noon. All right. Uh, it's time to move on to you fucked up. Okay. This week you fucked up is Tony watch. Tony watch 2020. Big Tony's back in the picture. Tony Abbott is popping his leathery baseball mid of a face above the parapet. Once again, he is not the one who fucked up though. The one who fucked up is, Boris Johnson. And I think this might be our first international You Fucked Up Award. Yeah, um, look, here it is. Listeners to the show, eagle-eared listeners of the show, may have, over the year and a bit that we've done the show, picked up on the, you know, vibe, on the structure of the show, which is we, we basically pick stories that we think are relevant, and then I'll chuck one in that doesn't really matter, but is pretty funny. And... I'm bending the rules slightly to talk about a little bit of UK poll here because I just think that every show needs a treat. And this week, the treat is an entire new nation dunking on Tony Abbott. So Mm. Boris Johnson has appointed (laughs) Tony Abbott as an advisor to his new board of trade, which is kind of a big deal because, you know, post-Brexit, the UK has to renegotiate a whole fucking raft of trade deals. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so basically throughout the week, there's been like rumors that it was going to happen. And then just this morning, it was confirmed that he has been appointed. Um, so as you can imagine, this has gone down extremely smoothly with everybody because Tony Abbott is universally loved across the world. And respected. (laughs) Yeah. Time for our next story. Oh no, wait, sorry. I've just gotten an update. Um, so yeah, there's been a lot of complaints, strangely in the UK media about how Abbott is a piece of shit that's not a direct quote including from lots of (laughs) high-level politicians um and just for fun let's hear a couple of examples 
And as the former Prime Minister of Australia, obviously Mr Abbott has got a huge amount of experience. Even if he's a homophobic misogynist? Well, I, I'm, I think that that is... Uh, I, I don't think that's uh, true. Uh, I, don't, I haven't I've seen I've just any. told you what he said. He, I'm sure you don't support some of his comments. He's a homophobe and he's a misogynist. Well, uh, he's also an expert in uh, trade. Um, why is it right that someone who's widely viewed as sexist, homophobic and a climate change denier should be representing Britain around the world? Well, first of all, you know, we are due to announce the Board of Trade and no final decisions have been made. But what I'd say about Tony Abbott is he's a former Prime Minister of Australia. Australia is a key ally of the United Kingdom and he has done a very good job in areas like trade. My former boss, Australia's 28th Prime Minister, is many things but homophobic and misogynistic. Well, they're not among them. Who was that last that, one? That... What's it, who do you think it is? Peter Credlin? That's Credlin from the show Credlin. Credlin. Um, I love I love it. Um, Credlin coming to her former boss's defense is look, he is a lot of things. Let, you know, let's not mince words about it. The guy is known to be an absolute flaming bag of balls, right? But homophobic and misogynist? Oh, come on. Bit harsh. Like, yep. I also thought my other favorite thing about those clips is, uh, like, just in general, the aesthetic of a UK politician equivocating is, um, I don't know, there's something so... Uh, I mean, that's the whole basis of uh, Yes Minister and, like, uh, totally. that other show that's the same. It's just, like, it, it would be it funny feels if like British people were politicians. Yeah, it, <laughs> and the answer is yes, frequently. <laughs> but I also love the way that they, uh, like, uh, the first response that they reach for after people are like, this guy is a huge bigot. And they're like, yeah, he was a former Prime Minister of Australia, so he's very qualified. It's like, guys, I really don't think you understand how little that means. Yeah. A lot of people Especially have been Prime Minister of Australia. Especially not in terms of, like he's not a homophobe or a misogynist. Like, that is definitely not one of the qualifications required to become prime minister of this country. Yeah. Like, like, maybe... Surely if he was such a massive homophobe, sorry, homophobe and yes, misogynist, the... that, <laughs> that he wouldn't have been elected to the prime ministership of Australia. It's like, oh, can't yeah, imagine bro, that. That shit is a fucking prerequisite. <laughs> That's a tick yep. in the plus column. There's also, like, they're like, oh, he knows so much about trade or whatever. And, like, he is not... An expert in trade. He did not study trade. He has never been a trade guy. He is a conservative. So in that sense, his like identity is based in pretending he understands economics. Um, but, like, exactly. It's it's really very much his identity and not anything that he knows about. And I know you're going to talk about this a bit more in a sec. Um, but he he said recently that uh, Tony Abbott said that people uh, weren't quote trained health economists and thus couldn't make decisions about like letting people die from coronavirus but like you're not a fucking trained health economist tony mm. and also you never listened to experts when you were in power so like what the f where the fuck do you get off telling people they're not trained health economists but also he's like if they were trained health economists they would agree with my terrible opinion but well like, this is uh, i yeah. mean he didn't listen to yeah. the experts but now he gets to be one a trade exactly. expert. An expert yeah. on something you, that he was never very good at and admittedly no. wasn't very involved in when he was prime minister. But as you say, the real reason he's been appointed is just because 
he's his his worldview aligns perfectly with Boris Johnson's. Yeah, and yep. he's just gonna he's gonna be a, a good ideological ally to him. Uh, Abbott said I actually that- think you're overestimating Boris Johnson when you say that. I know we don't want to get too much into the UK poll, but I think he is not an ideologue of any means and just decided that being conservative would win him the job. Uh, he, he used to be like basically a progressive liberal pro-immigration kind of guy when he was mayor of London and yet yeah, did a hard right pivot to become PM. Uh, but yes, like... I, de- I definitely uh, don't the- mean to portray him as some kind of... Um- as you put it, ideologue. It's just that Abbott helps prop up the sure, political yeah, yeah. costume that he has put on for himself in order to totally. It's, it's an unimportant clarification, power. but yeah. But yeah, I mean, you can see the reason that uh, someone like Johnson has appointed him. When this got this quote from Abbott about how, how how he would encourage trade officials to quote not be held up by things that are not all, not all that important and not be distracted by things that are not really issues of trade but might be for argument's sake. Issues of the environment. Uh (laughs) Cool. um, He's also, like, the other thing that's circulating about him at the moment, he's really been in the news this week, Mm. um, was a quote from a speech that he gave at a right-wing think tank in London. And that's really what he's spending most of his time doing these days. Mm -hmm. He's going to London, giving speeches to right-wing think tanks about how being an ignorant bigot is actually an extremely good political position. Complaining, so he gave this speech complaining about health, about leaders imposing health dictatorships. Obviously, he's directing this at Daniel Andrews. Quote: mm. In this climate of fear, it was hard for governments to ask how much is a life worth, because every life is precious and every death is sad. But that has never stopped families sometimes electing to make elderly relatives as comfortable as possible while nature takes its course. Takes its course. Oh, it's so euphemistic. It's so disgusting. That's never yeah. stopped families electing to make elderly relatives comfortable while nature takes its course is a just a disgusting way to be like, we should let old people let them die. die. Let them die for the economy. Uh, side note, yes, he's in London. How did he get permission to travel? Well, you see, a special exemption. Uh, they just boy, couldn't such a manage without him. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, but, uh, look, he, he couldn't bluster and make speeches over zoom from australia oh no not tony look he fucking belongs in the uk that's where he's wanted is always where he's wanted to be he's always had a mass like i'm sorry to say it but he's always had an absolutely massive boner for the uk down to him giving prince philip the fucking uh was it an order of australia knighthood um and like in You'll you'll have heard in those clips that uh, those British journalists were like, yeah, Tony Abbott is famously misogynist and famously homophobic. The other thing that they left out there is that he's a massive fucking racist. Incredibly racist. Repeatedly erased the indigenous, uh, the existence of indigenous people. You know, there was that famous quote from him uh, in 1788. It was nothing but bush yep. in Australia. Uh, weirdly. That racism doesn't seem to have gotten the British press's hmm. hackles up quite in the same way. That's so what I'm saying is the British really cared about indigenous people and yeah, and, uh, strange. Yeah. I don't Look, know. I don't think oversight. someone could have got elected as prime minister of Australia if they were racist, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> Look, he's a former prime minister of Australia, and he fits in fucking perfectly in the UK. And look, they can have him. So 
you know, hopefully we'll be able to get... There's an entire media class ready to dunk on Tony for everything other than his racism, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so probably more treats incoming from that in the future. At the, uh, also... I don't care where, it's, where in the world it's happening. Tony Abbott Someone's getting shot on Tony Abbott. is Ozpol. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just, uh, before we finish the story, a little tweet from John Kadelka who said... Whichever Australian traded Tony Abbott to Britain is the person Britain actually needs to help them with trade. So that's a pretty good joke. Yeah. It's pretty good. Okay. All right. Uh, thanks for that story, Zach. And thank you, Tony, for continuing to be a giant buffoon. Um, now we are going to move on to our potluck segment. Potluck, where you bring the snacks. As the uh, as the, the that sting suggests, this is the bit where you listener can uh, record a bit of audio and send it into the show, and we'll play it. Uh, and this is from one of our uh, friends, confidants, member of our inner sanctum, member of the snack pack, Patreon supporter, and Sovsit nerd Aiden, um, who uh, heard us talking about Anton Pillar orders last week and about being confused about them, and thought that as per Zach's request, he would. Uh, let us know what we had gotten wrong. In the last episode, Zach was talking about Anton Pillar orders and not knowing much about them, and they're pretty uninteresting, really. They tend to really be used for, um, like, uh, product design or intellectual property stuff, and that's why it's weird, especially that Ben Pennings had it, but there was this proposed order. Um, But way more sort of um, uh, unsavoury, I think, is... um, that there are also covert warrants. Um, Anton Pillar orders are, as Noon mentioned, for like private citizens or corporations, and um, they're fairly limited. They're hard to get, but and so are covert warrants. But covert warrants are warrants for the police or some investigating authority to go and, you know, bug someone's house or um, bug a prison facility because you can't normally have recording devices in a prison. Um, and they're heard um, in chambers, so they're not heard in a courtroom. They're heard by a judge in chambers, and they're um, they'll be you know the person from the uh, IVAC or from the police, and there will be someone who is like the appointed you know contravener, so the person to be the other side, and it's usually. Um, it's usually, you know, someone called like the public interest monitor and they uh, have sort of the, they take the position because the person that you're going to bug doesn't know. And I think that that's probably much worse because um, the, unlike an Anton Pillar order where you turn up at someone's house and say, hey, I'm going to come in and raid your stuff. What you do with a covert warrant is you, um, you being like a police officer or whatever, um, you know, bug someone's thing, bug someone's car, bug someone's house, and they don't know until you charge them with a criminal offence. So I think that's way, uh, way filthier. Um, and Adani would do it if they could. They probably do it anyway. But um, you know, that that's uh, I think there's even worse stuff. Uh, is my point. So uh, a really nice um, light uh, uh, note for you. Hmm. Yeah. Is that a positivity corner that there's worse stuff? I don't know. But yeah. Thanks, Aiden. Not particularly. It's a, yeah, the cops can do a whole bunch of uh, sneaky stuff in secret to you. Mm-hmm. Very Zach's cool. Zach's giving her a thumbs up, by the way, for yeah. listeners who can't see him. Great podcasting. Speaking of great podcasting, <laughs> shall we describe something visual, Zach? Because it's time for... Shitpost of the Week. Well, it's mostly text. 
It's true. It is text. Yeah, that's that's a great point. So this uh, this week we're awarding shitpost of the week to Hill Montedo, who um, has been producing some very cromulent content in Oz Pulse shitposting. They've been and uh, it's generally just a big source of positivity in the group. As absolutely, well, which we absolutely love. Keep bringing that energy. Thank you, Hill. Uh, and this post was one that they actually didn't mean to post in this in Ospol shitposting. <laughs> uh, but and they were like, "Oh, can I delete this? I'm not. I didn't mean this." But everyone was having such a great time in the comments. So anyway, this is a uh, a riff on that uh, Garfield meme where John is putting lasagna in the oven, and um, Hill said this. Why do they call it COVID when you cough in the cold virus but cough out the hot eat the virus? Which is just hilarious and. Made me think, have any memes not so far the context of Australia relaxed this kind of also? Mm. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what makes great is meme uh, run through and usually but not bringing. When this, I think, is definitely, if not most. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it reminds me of never having to uh, associate coronavirus leaving before also the election decided with the group. And look, I love a shit post with haven't generally but with this one really really high facebook yeah yeah several several times cool. congratulations hill thank you and uh that's gonna bring us to the end of our show we had like a million other stories but we just talked for so long about all of the things <laughs> that you've just heard so uh yeah uh you'll hear some of them next week um we have a review, and we've also got our special news segment at the end of the episode. Uh, so, Zach, do you want to read read this review? I feel like it's it's kind of directed at you. Yeah, for, it just says yum yum. This is from Bandit Bandwidth Bandit on Apple Podcasts. So, yum yum five stars. First episode I listened to has a cheeky mad villainy, so I'm in. Which is nice to know that, that is despite nice. the you know I may have pissed off a whole bunch of listeners with the ACAB sting. Uh, <laughs> Uh, that at least one was like, hey, I like that reference, <laughs> and yeah. then gave us a review. So thank you very so, much, Bandwidth Bandit. At least someone appreciates me. Speaking of reviews, uh, we love reviews. If you haven't left <laughs> us one, it makes such a big difference to us emotionally, but also it uh, bumps us in the in the charts. Like It gets uh, sent to more people. So hop on Apple Podcasts or iTunes and leave us a review, or if you use Stitcher or Podbean or whatever other app you use to, to get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, Leave us a rating and review. And the other if, thing if you... that I've seen um, other podcasts do is tell people that if you're listening on Spotify to hit the follow button. Oh yeah, I don't know what that does for us, but um, seems good. So give, maybe try give that. it a go. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, and also we have a Patreon. If you really like the show and you want to support us financially, you can hop onto patreon.com forward slash OzPulseSnackPod. And if you give us $1 a month, you get a bonus monthly episode, you get access to our Discord, you get a bunch of other stuff um, at different uh, like reward tier levels. Um, at $5, you can uh, tell us what to do our bonus episodes about and just generally like, yeah, hang out in the Discord and message us if you have hot takes about our show or anything else. So yeah, uh, go over onto Patreon. Thank and, you for listening uh, to the business. Yeah. Now we've got the party at the back. Because <laughs> it's time for a pop date. Uh, you said okay, you listened but... to the, the, the Trapdoor theme song. Yeah. No. So we're, we're slowly getting there. I've listened to the original and it is surprisingly funky. There's a lot of like squelchy synth bass going on, which I appreciate. It's a great show as well. So, yeah. I'm feeling good about it. The, the sting. So it's percolating. It's coming. Okay, cool. Yeah. I hope that, I hope that. You guys can hold out for another week or two while I um, work up the motivation to actually make it. 
What's happening with Bagel? So, as I mentioned last week, uh, Bagel is a rescue and he's very naughty and aggressive. And um, one of the many things that he gets worried about is cats. Uh, but this week we were out walking and uh, a cat, like, sauntered out of its front yard just in front of us. And I was like, oh, shit, uh, Bagel has crossed the road. We walked across the road. And the cat fucking, like, followed us and followed us down the street. Uh, and, I hate like, it when that happens. 90% of the time, this is a, like, Bagel's tail goes up he starts barking and like trying to eat the cat or whatever this time he was like uh oh, it was a cat it's kind of weird just like looked at it it followed us for ages i was like walking away we're about to turn the corner and i saw a dog coming the other way and it's like fuck cannot encounter this dog That's face to much. face no, i would no. much rather try and walk past this like cat that bagel seems chill about and we did and he was like oh yeah cat all right seems fair and i was wow. like holy shit this is remarkably That's good. fucking so, impressive. Yeah, yeah, so we we went back and forth, did like three or four passes, and the last time Bagel did like a woof, and I was like, okay, maybe that should have stopped one before this. But anyway, mm. it was it was really good. He's a very good boy, aren't you, mister? Yes, you are. How about Dante? That's great news. How's, how's he doing? Uh, you know, same old. He's the opposite in terms of cats. Like, he definitely were on the walk. The other day, he saw a box under a car, a cardboard mm-hmm, box, mm-hmm. and um, he doesn't have great eyesight, and he just no. decided that the box was a cat, yep. and basically for his entire walk, was just on high alert for cat boxes after mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm, and every time mm-hmm. we passed that car, was like straining at the leash, and uh, pulling my shoulder out of my socket trying to get at the box, and it's just like, there's, you know, there's nothing you can do, there's really. literally like, nothing there, Yeah, though. it's like, Dante. sorry, it's just, it, I don't know how to tell you it's a fucking that's box. not a cat and even if it was you're not going to get that cat i've literally never let you get a cat he strains it at, bir- at birds every time we pass them as well and it's like you have a zero percent hit rate <laughs> yeah. of being allowed to go near a bird i have a flawless record re birds and you getting them it has never happened it is never going to happen please stop trying to make birds happen they mm. aren't going to happen dante mm. you know when, when um people they post on twitter like if you had 10 seconds to say one thing to your dog and everyone's like i just would tell them how much i love them etc i'd yeah. sit dante down and be like you are never getting a bird you are never getting a cat also i love you very much that's what i would tell him yeah i think for me it would be something like actually everyone really likes you and wants to be your friend no one's trying to hurt you you can just be nice to everyone because they like you but uh that's, yeah. a, that's also a good option maybe i would like pre-record myself speaking really quickly to fit more into the mm, 10 seconds mm, just sensible um, anyway listeners yeah. if you find a dog translator around uh hook us up but um we'd love to hear about it right into us at ospolsnackpot at gmail.com the podcast uh, that is now even more about dogs all right <laughs> <laughs> let's finish up thank you very much listeners thank you zach thank you noon make sure you keep snacking in the free world i will and also crunch crunch <laughs>